I normally spend Thursdays as my day to study and to pray and to just meditate on the word that I'm going to be speaking on. And this Thursday, I hit a brick wall. I just, I physically and emotionally and spiritually just was like, I just need to take a day just for Bob. And so I didn't read the word. And then Friday, I said, I got to hit it hard. And Friday, I struggled to even open up the Bible. And Saturday, I was like, oh, God, it's Saturday. I'm going to preach tomorrow. And I still even studied yet. And so last night, late last night, 10 o'clock last night, I finally, finally was able to open this up. And I, I don't know if it was just me or if there was some kind of a spiritual thing going on that was just keeping me from opening this word. But this week was hard for me. I mean, I read the Bible this week, but when it came time to actually getting into studying this, what I was supposed to be preparing for you guys to hear, it was like I was like slogging through deep mud. And I was like, God, what in the world is going on? It wasn't that I didn't want to. It's just I just struggled. But then as I started reading last night and then I got up again at five this morning and I was reading and reading and it was just like, Oh, wow, this is so rich. This is so cool. This is so neat. So I'm confessing to you, I haven't spent days percolating over this. I've spent hours. (laughs) But there's still some really rich and cool things here that I want to share with you guys out of Isaiah chapter 11. We are going to be reading through the entire chapter uh, 11 this morning. It's only 16 verses, so that should only take about an hour and a half. I'm kidding. What I want to do is I want to read all the way through chapter 11. And then I want to read and then I want to start breaking it down. Now, if you remember last week, I talked to you about how to recognize when you're looking at the printed word on the page, when it's prose or when it's poetry or song. So you'll notice that in this particular section, the poetry or the or the or the uh, the prose actually goes all the way back to like chapter 10 verse 13 or 12, 13. It's the, that's one long thing and it goes all the way through to 11, 9. And then we have prose, verses 10 and 11. And then we have more prophetic utterance, 11, tw- verse 12 through to the end of chapter 11. And technically it goes all the way down to 12. So remember I said last week we have these artificial breaks uh, because it's easier on us to study and to, to be able to, to maneuver through the Bible. But the thought was actually, this, this is like excerpting part of one set of thought and part of another set of thought. But I still feel like we need to just focus only on chapter 11 this morning. So let's go ahead and start with chapter 11, verse 1. And we'll read through 16 and then we'll break it down a little bit. First of all, so it starts out, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, 
The shepherd will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. And in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria and from Egypt and from Upper Egypt and from Cush and from Elam and from Babylonia, and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish. Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. And the Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind. He will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. And there will be a highway for the remnant of his people. That is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. What in the world does that mean? Well, this is a prophetic utterance given by Isaiah to the people of Jerusalem, of the nation of Judah, just before the Assyrian invasion and then ultimately the Babylonian invasion that took them into exile. Well, as we've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, Isaiah is speaking a hard word to a people that have hardened their hearts and won't listen. And there is a remnant that is receiving his words and keeping their eyes focused on God, even though the world is coming crashing down around them. And now we've reached a point in the prophetic utterance of Isaiah where God is giving hope to the people. These words are not things that are going to happen anytime soon. These words are things that will be happening in the future. However, if we were to go back the the three to four thousand years ago when this was written and these words were originally spoken, Isaiah didn't know that it was going to be thousands of years. And the people didn't know that it was going to be thousands of years. All they knew is that they were receiving a word. Now, in order to understand some of this, the one thing we need to recognize is, as I already tried to share with the kids this morning, the Bible sometimes uses symbol in in prophecy to represent something else. So if we look at the very first verse of chapter 11, it says, A shoot is going to come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then if you look at verse 10, it also says, In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Scholars have come to understand that chapter 11, verse 1 and chapter 11, verse 10 are talking about the very same person. To this day, I mean, from our perspective, looking backwards, 
Scholars have helped us to understand that these verses are actually talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the people were looking to come to redeem the nation of Israel, to set up a kingdom that would, according to the word of God, would have no end and to establish justice and peace and a a reordering, basically, of the world. That's what they were looking forward to. But this symbolism that's in here, in order for me to get it, I had to first go back to some basic biology that I learned back in ninth grade. And I want to share a little bit back with a little bit with you of what I was thinking. So let's look at the structure of a tree. Uh, There we go. So we've got a tree that above ground, what we see is the trunk or in some cases, if you're an actual, uh, uh, an actual a botanist, you will know that that is a, it's called the vine of the tree. The trunk of the tree is the vine. Then there are the branches that come off of the tree. And then on those branches, there are the leaves. The tree also has an incredible system underground that we don't see normally. And that system has a number of purposes. Number one, that system is to stabilize that tree so that in the event of storms or strong winds, the tree would not topple over and die. So the root system stabilizes the tree in its location. The other thing that the root system does is it it pulls through the process of osmosis, pulls up liquid and nourishment into the tree. But another thing, and this is something that I had not known until I took biology, the root system is also a storage place. Because see, what happens is the roots pull the moisture in, they pull the nutrients in, they send it up the vine, the trunk, it goes out to the branches, and it goes out into the leaves, and there's a process that happens in the leaves called photosynthesis. So when the sunlight hits the leaves, this photosynthesis takes place and there is there are sugars that are created. This is energy or food for the plant. And then the plant uses that energy to live. However, it also sends the root, I mean, sends that energy, those sugars back down through the branches, through the vine into the root system where it is stored So that on days when it's dark or dim and there's not a lot of light, they can still live because they have a store of food, if you will, for the tree stored in the root system. Now, if you want to kill a tree, the fastest way to kill a tree is to just cut off at the the roots at the ground. And now the tree is, quote unquote, dead. The best way to kill a tree, if you want to do it slowly is this. It's called girdling. You have to cut into the bark of the tree. It has to be at least two to three inches. It can be more, but it has to be at least two to three inches. And it's not just the outer bark, but you have to cut into almost the core wood area of the tree to be able to uh, kill the tree. Why does that happen? Because when the roots are sending the nutrients and the fluid, the water up to the branches and out to the leaves, and then back again, the food is being stored in the roots. Those veins, if you will, are just underneath the outer bark. 
there's a layer of the, of the bark that's kind of like cork-like. And that's where all of the veins of the tree are, where the water and the sugars pass through. It's their circulatory system for the tree. So if you cut that into that and remove a two-inch section all the way around the tree, you have effectively cut off the supply line to be able to feed the tree. It's a slow process, but it's a, it's a sure process. Once you've girdled a tree, it's going to die. Because the storehouse is going to be depleted. The roots will deplete of all any sustenance that they have trying to help the tree and no new store of energy can come down from the leaves because you've cut off the supply system. Now, what ends up happening though, in the case of what we're reading here in Isaiah, is they didn't girdle this tree known as Jesse. They cut it off. They just took a saw or an axe and cut it off, leaving a stump. And for all intents and purposes, that tree is dead. However, as many of you know, if you've ever had to try, try to get rid of a tree off of your property, if all you do is cut it off, there's the potential, because there's still the, the, the source of, of, of energy stored in the root system, for shoots to begin growing out of that stump. Now, you won't have one solid vine growing. You'll end up with a bunch of little ones growing. You have more of a bush than you will a tree. But the reality is, you still have a living tree because the root system still has um, the energy to be able to, to build. And so the tree starts trying to recreate itself, if you will. And if you allow it, you'll end up with another living organism above the system. And the only way to kill that is to continually knock off those shoots. And eventually, it will deplete all of its store. It won't be able to reproduce. It won't be able to, to, to make any more energy. And the root system will finally die and the tree will be dead. So what we're seeing here in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 is God speaking through Isaiah is giving a prophecy saying there is a stump. And from that stump, a shoot is going to come up. New life is going to come up from what looks like it's dead. And from its roots, a branch will bear fruit. And scholars have told us that this is a, prof a prophecy about the coming Messiah. You see, the nation of Israel, as we've been looking at, um, separated had a civil war, if you will, and separated from themselves. When, when King David died, King Solomon took over. When King Solomon died, King Rehoboam took over, and King Rehoboam was stupid. And the end result was, he had poor counsel, and he alienated ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, and there was a split, a civil war happened, and so the northern kingdom of Israel separated from the southern kingdom, which was Jerusalem and Benjamin, or Judah and Benjamin. And now we have what is known as Judah, the southern nation of Israel, and the northern nation, which is all of the other, uh, other tribes, the ten tribes. Another way that the Israelites talk about that northern kingdom is they call the northern kingdom, that northern kingdom can be called Ephraim, which is one of the tribes 
that was part of the northern kingdom. And so they, they, you'll hear the northern kingdom, you'll hear Israel, you'll hear Ephraim, all three representing the northern kingdom that separated itself after Solomon died and became this apostate thing. The bottom line is this. This prophecy that we're reading is saying that this is both, this is a prophecy for both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's for all of Israel. And what is it saying? Well, if we go into verse 2, it says that this shoot, this Messiah that's coming, is going to be anointed by the Spirit of God. And with this, this Messiah is going to be full of wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge. The fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And as a result, his work as the Messiah, as the anointed one, verse 3 says, is that he's going to judge. One of the roles of the Messiah is to come and to judge. But it says he doesn't do it by his eyes. He doesn't do it by his ears. He does it through the righteousness that he has. This right relationship with God. And he's going to judge accordingly for the folks that are needy. He's going to judge for the poor. He's going to strike the earth uh, with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. He's going to slay the wicked. And righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And basically what that's saying is the Messiah, this anointed one, is going to come and he's going to have the Spirit of God on him. He's going to be full of godliness. He's going to be full of righteousness. And he's going to become a righteous judge that's going to set things the way they should have been to begin with. And then it says in verse 6 through verse 9 that these, the effect of his reign, the effect of his coming is going to be that literally all of creation changes to the point where the predators no longer predate on the, on the, on their victims, but literally they lay down together. It literally says in verse, uh, verse 9, no, verse 7, that it's going to, God is going to change, the, the Messiah's work is going to effectively change even the digestive systems of the animal kingdom. It's going to go from being carnivorous to all of them being herbivores. So that there will no longer be fear in the animal kingdom. It literally says in verse Eight, the infant, this is the, the, the word, the, the, the Hebrew word here is the child that's still nursing at its mother's breast. And it says the infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And then the young child, a young child, the, the Hebrew here is talking about a toddler. So it's little kids. So an infant and a toddler were going to be near the hole of a cobra and the young toddler, you know, they just run without caution. They just run to have fun. And it says literally the, the toddler is going to put his hand right down into the cobra's nest and there's nothing to be afraid of. They're not going to be harmed because all of creation is going to change as a result of this Messiah's coming and the righteous rule of the Messiah. Now, some scholars are going to tell you, no, this is all symbolism. This isn't a real, a real changing of the culture, of the, of the nature of the beasts. This is just talking about various nations that were being aggressive towards Israel. Okay, let them interpret that that way. I don't care. I like the idea that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to change things. That's my business. I'm not a scholar in the sense of studying all of this stuff. I can tell you what I believe. I can tell you what I, what my spirit says. And I can tell you that I'm right. 
No, I mean, I'm right according to some scholars, okay? Because as I was reading, there are some scholars who believe that this is a, an indeed a change of the nature of creation, going back to what it was pre-fall. In other words, going back to the way God originally created it. Or there are some scholars who say, no, this is all symbolism. And they can have their opinion. They're stupid, but they can have their opinion. Um, but, my, but my point is this. When Jesus comes, as, when, when the Messiah comes, I'm still talking from the Hebrew mindset. When the Messiah comes, everything is going to be put right. Everything. Even to the point of creation going back to the way God originally created it to be. That's the prophecy. That's the promise. That's what's supposed to happen. Then it says in verse 10, and in that day, the root of Jesse is going to stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Now, what is this banner thing? Well, if you will turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to read the first eight verses. Jeremiah chapter 23, the first eight verses. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number and I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified and nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch a king who will wisely reign to, and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. Jehovah Sitkenu. The Lord is our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will now say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he had banished them, and then they will live in their own land. See, when you're, when you're reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you need to look, try and look at it as if you were a Hebrew living back then and hearing the words and understanding what they mean to that person. Well, what is that person doing? That person is literally scared to death right now. Why? Because at the time that Isaiah wrote this prophecy... The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been taken over by the Assyrians. They have already been literally dispersed. They've lost their, their land, their homes. They've been physically removed and sent to other areas. And the Assyrians have literally come to Judah. 
to try and do the same thing. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God said they're not going to take over Jerusalem. I've already set the boundaries. They're not going any farther than that. But then we know from history that that was a prophecy that Assyria wasn't going to take over the end. It wasn't going to be the end of Judah and Jerusalem. But that indeed the next world power, Babylon, did come in and finally decimate all of the southern kingdom of Judah, including Jerusalem, destroying the temple, looting and pillaging, taking, killing people, raping people, stealing, and then finally deporting the, the left, the folks that were left. And they all spread to all parts of the world, literally. Because their captors said, you can no longer live in your land. And they moved them to another place and they brought other people to live in here. By doing that displacement, they destroyed nationalism. And the end result was they had a better control over their subjects. Okay? So this is the, la- this is the life you're in right now. As a Hebrew... In the time of this prophecy, the northern kingdoms already had it happen to them. And it looks like we're next. God has said, Assyria is not going to do it, but we know something's coming and then Babylon's going to come and eventually we're going to be all gone. And literally, all of the promises of the Davidic dynasty that would never die, but that God would keep the David dynasty going until the end of time, cut off right at ground level. The tree that is Jesse is David's dynasty. Jesse was David's father. Cutting it all off. They're gone. And even the Israelites lost their land. Now this is incredibly important to understand because the Israelites had a promise that God gave to Abraham when he called him out of Ur and had him come to the promised land. What was the promise? I will be your God and I will give you this land. He had Abraham stand on the land and he said, look in all directions as far as you can see, it's all going to be yours. It'll be your descendants. And these people then got separated and brought from the land and got brought to Egypt and were enslaved for 475 years. And what was the, what was the, the nation of Israel's cry? You can read it all through the Old Testament. Following the Exodus, what did they say? God who brought us back to the land. He rescued us from our captors. We left Egypt by His power and His strength and He brought us back to the land, the place of the covenant. The place where we are the people of Israel. The people who love and serve the mighty God through whom blessing will go out to all other, all of other humanity. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise. And we're holding on to it. And we're living it. And now we're being decimated by world powers. And they're just taking us out of our land. And we no longer have access to our land. And they cut off the kingship, the kingdom. And we no longer have a king. And our world has come crashing down. What about the promises of God? What about what's supposed to... We've lost everything. And Isaiah says, the time is coming. It's not today. But the time is coming when what looks dead will spring forth with new life, declares the Lord. And when this happens, he's going to have the Spirit of God on him. And he is going to judge righteously. And he is going to be so effective in the way that he becomes a king is that the whole world is going to change. And the end result 
And Isaiah chapter 10 verse 1, I mean verse, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says, He will become a banner. Oh, let's look at that word. Jehovah Nisi. He will be Jehovah Nisi, who becomes a banner that is the rallying point for all of the, nation, of the people of Israel who were scattered. Because it says they're going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And the, the Messiah, when he comes, will be a rallying banner. Jehovah Nisi, who calls all of the Jews back to the land where they were promised. And it says at the end of this chapter of 11, no longer will they say, remember the Exodus. Now, from this point on, they're going to say, remember when the Messiah came and he brought us back to the land of promise and he established a righteous rule and he judged all of our oppressors and he changed the course of the whole world. Imagine how glorious that will be when that happens. And I can't get it through my head how in the world they missed it. Because Jesus, we know, is the Messiah that's being talked about here. He's already come. They don't recognize Him as the Messiah. How come? Isn't He covered all over with the Holy Spirit of God? Isn't He righteous? Doesn't he have good judgment and good knowledge and good understanding? And didn't he change the world, literally? Why don't they get it? Well, because part of the prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. For hundreds, if not thousands of years, the Israelites were still in the dispersion. They were still spread out to the four corners of the world. And it was only within the last 60 or 70 years that the people of Israel started occupying the land again. Imagine the miracle of the establishing of the nation of Israel in the 1940s. And imagine why there is so much unrest now and has been for that whole time is the enemy is doing everything he can to keep this prophecy from being fulfilled. But there is going to come a point, and we understand it because of the promises that we read in the New Testament, that Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, the Bible says he's going to set foot on the Mount Olives, and all nations will be drawn to him. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10. This Jehovah Nisi becomes a banner saying, come on home, folks. We're about to set up our righteous rule and totally change everything, including the digestive system of every animal, putting it back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. You see, the prophecy of Isaiah has, in Isaiah 11 has only been partially fulfilled. Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He is the righteous judge. But he hasn't come yet to judge. He hasn't come yet as the king. He came as the sacrifice to provide salvation, to provide the atonement, to provide the opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to bring about holiness among the people of God. But there's still more to this prophecy, and that's that the Messiah is going to come 
and set up a kingdom on this earth and rally all of God's people to him. Pretty cool. And we got two signs in our sanctuary that remind us of that. Jehovah Tzitkenu, the Lord our righteousness. That's who he is, the righteous judge that's coming. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. See, I've always thought of this one as a victory thing, but it's more than that. This is, a, this is an evangelistic thing. Jehovah Nisi, the banner that is flown over Jerusalem saying, come on, everyone who wants to follow God, come on, I'm here. We're about to set up an incredible world. Come on, join me. Praise God. Praise God. As I was reflecting this morning at 5 o'clock, because I read the stuff last night, but I was like reflecting this morning, it's like, Lord, this is all really cool, and it makes me feel good, but what is the truth that I can hold for myself? Because I'm already a Christian. I already recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, when he comes, I'm going to follow. And the Lord whispered to me the issue about that stump thing. See, from the perspective of the people who were living in Israel at the time, or Jerusalem at the time of this prophecy, they were looking at a, knock, a cut-off stump. They weren't seeing the potential shoot that was going to come out. All they saw was destruction, devastation, horror, evil, bad, failure, promises broken, covenants broken. They didn't have any understanding of any future. Everything's dying. And God said, trust me. Just trust me. In my perfect time, you will see the new life that I'm bringing about. But you have to understand, it's in my time. You have to understand that if you will wait and be patient. I told a couple people this week, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Exodus chapter 14, verse 14 says, The Lord will do the fighting for you. All you need to do is stand still. And it's hard for us to stand still. Because when my world is crashing, and when everything looks bad, and when everything is fearful, I want to do something to make it right. But if I trust God, I should just be patient. Carefully listening, because if he has something for me to do, I want to do it. But otherwise, wait for that shoot of new life to spring forth from that stump that looks dead. Because God has the power to do it. He is Jehovah. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies. He has all the resources available to him. He knows what's best. He knows what time is best. He knows what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. And if we will keep our hands off of it, we will see miracles happen. And it's a matter of trusting him and a matter of being patient, and a matter of waiting. So, in your walk today, if there's something that you're facing that seems insurmountable, if there's something that is scary, if there's something where it looks like it's death and not life, if it looks like you've lost and not gained, if it looks like you're about to lose, just get on your face before Him and pray and say, God, all I see is a stump. Give me the eyes to see the shoot 
that is coming. Because not only it says it right here in Isaiah chapter, I mean in Isaiah 11, chapter 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, not only is there a shoot that comes out of that, what looks like a dead stump, but it bears fruit. It takes time for a shoot to grow strong enough to support the fruit. And if you will wait, God can bear fruit out of what today looks like death. If you'll just wait on him and trust him. Let's pray.